open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And we were I was going to preach this last week, but uh, we had everybody give their testimonies, and it went really well. So I just figured I'd just be wasting everybody's time. We got enough sermon out of uh, – or enough message last week. Um, I know throughout this week I had people come up and tell me, like, man, Sunday was good. I can't – you know, the, the, the testimonies really moved me. They helped me or whatever. And uh, so for those of you who shared your testimony, thank you for that um, willingness to just share your life in that way. Um, our sermon series is called Run Your Race. There's this, there's this analogy or this metaphor that Paul uses and the book of Hebrews uses about uh, the Christian life being like a race. It's not a sprint. It's like a marathon. And, and as you can tell by me, I'm not much of a runner. Um, and I don't like running. And so the idea of running your race, um, first of all, it, it, it's, it's hard for me. But then I realize what the metaphor is saying, what the parable is saying. And then I say, aha, I get it. Running your race, it's not really running. Not, not physically running. It's about being committed to the path that Christ has laid out before you. It's, it's walking in the peaks and in the valleys. It's being with Jesus on that straight and narrow every minute of this marathon. There are no times where we can really coast. There are no times where, where it's going to end and then start back up again. This is, a, this is a race. Our first sermon, we dealt with the fact that sometimes running our race really is resting in the Lord. Just resting in the truth that he has forgiven us, that he loves us, that he desires us. And there's not a lot of a lot of movement there. It's just resting in the Lord. But resting in that truth, it, it does something to us. It propels us from, from complacency. It propels us out of despair to just know that the Lord loves us so much. Today we're going to deal with, with this scripture in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where the writer says, lay aside every weight. How many people have ever been to TJ Maxx? I love TJ Maxx. I love it. Um, they have a clearance section. So TJ Maxx is like a store that sells stuff that they couldn't sell in other stores. So, you know, you go in there and you find something that was – it's been discounted because another store couldn't sell it. So they sell it to TJ Maxx and TJ Maxx sells it. But then TJ Maxx can't sell it sometimes. So then you have TJ Maxx clearance. And you would think by how many times I'm saying their name that I'm getting paid for this, but I'm not. Um and so the other day we were at uh, TJ Maxx and me and the kids were in the clearance section of the toy aisle because that's like the best. So we're in there and there's this thing and I've seen professional athletes use it. Um, it looked like a big leash and you put it on a kid and, and what you do is you use that to build up resistance and, and strength training like that. So, so the dad in the picture on the box is holding this like strap and the kid's like this. And he's tied up with the thing, and the idea is to build up the kid's legs because they might end up in the NFL one day, I guess. I don't know. The kid looked happy. The dad looked happy, whatever. And, and Ethan was like, this is pretty cool. Now, side note, uh, because of Ethan's treatments uh, for leukemia, uh, one of the things that, that has affected him is his leg strength. And so he was intrigued by that. I thought, oh, that would be really cool to have. It was like three bucks, and we didn't get it. Um, but the point was to build up this strength in your legs so that you could, when the strap's not there, you could run faster. And you see uh, professional athletes do it and that sort of thing. And that's a, that's a good thing. The idea of carrying our cross uh, in and of itself builds endurance. 
Jesus says, my, my yoke is light. You know, it's not burdensome, but it's still a yoke. We're still going to have to learn how to endure and persevere under the weight of the cross. The cross of Jesus, you know, I was explaining uh, earlier this week how we have love and then we have the cross here. That's kind of where, that's kind of where we meet Jesus. We meet his love at the cross. We meet it where he sacrificed himself for us. We see the greatest display of God's love in the cross that Jesus would die on our behalf. Though he's not a sinner, he would die on the behalf of sinners so that we might be reconciled to him. That he loved us more than, than the justice that, that demanded we pay for our sins. Now, in that analogy, that's a good thing. We should be, James chapter 1 talks about us uh, building up endurance and perseverance through trials, through, through testing. But, but there's something else that weighs us down that's not a good thing. And the writer of Hebrews says we need to lay that aside. We need to cast it away. We need to get rid of it because it's not strengthening us. It's, it's, it's taking away that perseverance. And the writer says that it's sin. So let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Jesus, your word is good. And, and we're not here to change it or to manipulate it. We want to take it for all that it is, and we want to be changed. Your word alone is perfect, and we are not. Change us today to see your word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's, here's a couple of things we got to go down first before we even get to this thing. Uh, you are loved. You are loved with an immeasurable love. Whether you feel it or not, you are greatly loved by the God who created everything. You read the book of Genesis chapter 1, how God created the heavens and the earth and light and dark and waters and, and land and animals. And he created man in his own image. And then you see Adam and Eve, they fall shortly. It seems like just right after they're created, they're like, oh, sin. And they sin. And because of that one act... Sin entered in, but God's love did not leave. In that moment of sin, God gives this promise that one day the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent that had deceived them. And, and that was the first promise we had of this Messiah, this Jesus that would come. From the very foundations of the earth, the plan for Jesus to redeem God's people has always been in place. God's love for you was not something he pondered and then said, you know what, I think I'll give it a go. Jesus, you're going to go die for them? Sure, then I'll love them. It's not, it's not like that. From the very foundations, Jesus had, or God had this plan in Christ to redeem us all because of his great love for us. And because of Jesus' great love for the Father, he goes, he walks that life for 33 years, sinless. Who knows how we did it other than being God himself, then dies on a cross for us. To show us his great love for the Father and love for us. We are greatly loved. The Bible time and time again tells us things like, Before we ever loved God, God loved us. For the past five weeks we've been studying this word love. 
you know, if you've ever read First Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind, and and we kind of take that, and we, I mean the church and, and people who make t-shirts and bumper stickers, we take that and we usually push it into the mold of romantic love. You know, we use it for a husband and a wife, and that's that's great. Husbands, be patient, be kind, because that's what true love is, and, and, and wives as well. But that word love is agape. It's this, it's this love that's poured out upon somebody for no other reason than they are loved. They are loved. God pours out love upon us because he loves us. And, and Jesus told his disciples that the rest of the world would know that we were Christians by having this agape love between one another. Sometimes our greatest testimony is not that we live this really holy and righteous life. It's that we love each other, especially in the church. That in spite of all of our quirks and proclivities and our, and our, our, our things that just make us so different, we still love each other. Whether we're young or old, whether we're business or uh, you know work with our hands, whether we're white-collar, blue-collar, Republican, Democrat, no matter what we are, we, we love each other in spite of those things because we are pouring out this agape love on somebody else. They haven't deserved it. They haven't earned it or merited it. We just love them. And that's a challenge in and of itself, isn't it? Some people are really easy to love, right? Like the guy who does Reading Rainbow, what's his name? Who? Jordan LaForge. No, it's Lamar Burton. Lamar Burton, yeah. Jordan. Who's Jordan LaForge? Oh, on Star Trek. Okay, of course. Nerd. <laughs> but nobody has anything bad to say about that guy, right? I bet if Lamar Burton was our friend, we'd be like the. It'd be it'd be awesome. If you guys don't know who he is, go watch Reading Rainbow. It's back on TV. Um. Guys like that, we yeah, we'd love to be our friend. People, some people come into our lives and they're just so excited and they're like, they're they're so encouraging. You're like, man, I want to hang out with that guy more. But then, it seems like the majority of people come in and they're and you're just like, oh gosh, they're back. And and it's like, I that's going to be hard to love them. This is going to be a challenge. And I look around the room and I don't see any people like that here. But maybe in your walk of life, maybe you have people like that. The charge is still the same: to love them. Whether they're in the church or out of the church, your call is to love them with this agape love because you were first loved. And you've now been empowered to love them in that way. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, but it does mean it has to get done. Romans 5 and 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. In Christ Jesus, love is perfected and shown as it truly is. First John will continue to say that God is love, this agape love, this love that's poured out upon people that do not deserve it. You know, some, some folks don't like to hear about their sin because they just want to hear about how much God loves them. But I need you to know you're so loved even though you are a sinner. And that's the other side of this coin today. You are greatly loved, but you're also a sinner. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. It's not just something that we do. Sin is 
woven into the fabric of who we are. We we not only do things that are sinful. You know, I was I, my my children. They're they're eight, and my daughter will be five. And I sat them down and I said, and I asked them point blank, just us three, have you sinned? And they said yes. And I said, well, give me an example, because I I don't want them just to be like, oh, I'm a sinner. I want them to, you know, why do you say that? I did this. I did that. I did this. And I said, okay. And then I began to share with them sins from my past. Things that I've done, things that I've done in the most recent past. And they weren't really that shocked, number one, because they see dad for all that he is. Um, and we all just talked about it and realized, yeah, that's who we are. And then we talked about how great the love of God is that we would be forgiven. That like the water Jesus turned into wine, that he has taken us and made us something so much more. Though we are greatly loved, that great love is poured out upon us in spite of the fact that we are sinful or sinners. It's just who we are. We've done stuff, but then it's our very nature. It's where, without Christ, it's our default mode. Now, there are, there are good people on the earth. I get that. There are people who do good things. But the Bible tells us that, that we were sinners from creation or from, from the beginning, from the time that we were born. Just to give you a couple of scriptures, James 14, excuse me, <laughs> James 4 and 7 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Now, before I get into that just a little bit, let me share Romans 3 and 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like to be called sinners. I don't need anybody to tell me that I'm a sinner. I've read the Bible and I, and I, and I agree with that fact. I don't read the Bible and argue, no, you don't know me. I've done this and I've done that. I go, you know what? You know, I've done this and I've done that. I am in, the Bible's right. I, I, am, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's got this, this level that I just can't reach by myself. I jump as high as I can. It just doesn't work. seems like the more I try to jump through these hoops, I fall farther and farther and farther. And then James kind of amplifies that. It's more than just a, a single act. You know, you just broke one of the Ten Commandments. He says, if there's something you know to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. So you're driving down the road and the Lord literally tells you to stop and you don't, that's, that's sin. For, for, for whatever reason he asks you to stop, you should go, go talk to that person, help that person emotionally or financially or whatever, to, to go left instead of right. If you don't do that thing, when you were told to do so, that's a sin. And all of us, all of us have done that. All, me, you, the president, Billy Graham, anybody you can think of, the person in your mind who was so perfect, they've sinned. Romans 3 and 9 says this, What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Before I continue... The idea when Paul was writing to the Roman church, the idea was that the Jews were like the super people and the Gentiles, that's us, anybody who's not Jewish, um, they, the Jews were better off than the Gentiles. And Paul writes to them saying, you know, we're all in the same big messed up ball. We're all in the same group. We all need Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. An asp is like a snake. Uh, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We'll read something like this, this and we'll measure it by terms of actions. Not always like that. You're not always like that, but but you are like that, right? I mean, there are times where we're not all of these things, but we're some of these things. James says that sometimes we're like we're like a um a spring that s- shoots forth fresh water and salt water. In one hand we've got blessings, and then the other the next moment we're cursing somebody. Hey, have a great day. Oh, I hate you. You cut me off. And we use a lot more colorful language. Like one minute we're saying really nice, good, pious things, and the next minute we're just we're we're wishing that somebody would die with our words. That's that's us. Paul lumps together all these Old Testament verses to describe who we truly are. Psalm fifty-one and, and one is a psalm written by King David. The Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart. If you've ever heard that phrase, that's where it originates from. David was a man after God's own heart. You know, you can have somebody come to your house, if you're a guy like me, and you're like, hey, do you like bacon? And they're like, yeah, I love bacon. Man, you're a man after my own heart. You're a guy after my own heart. Because we're, we're, we're one and the same in this one thing. And the Bible says that was David. Not about the bacon. He was a Jewish boy. Not about bacon. But he, if God wanted something, he wanted something. He wanted that same thing. But it also shows us that at one point he saw a young lady named Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop and he decided, I want to make her my wife. And, and that's putting it really delicately. And I say, what's the big deal? A, he was already married. B, she was already married. C, he got her pregnant and then killed her husband. He's the guy after God's own heart. But here's the sin that's being revealed in him adulterous, murderous, lying, sexually immoral, all in one action. So David says in Psalm 51, and this is after he's been called out on this sin, because even if you're a king and you sin, somebody's going to call you out on it. And Nathan the prophet shows up and gives him this word and calls him out and says, hey, you're an adulterous, lying murderer. So David writes this psalm as he repents. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. David says, this is, this is before I was even born. This is my true nature. This is who I am. And I need you. He didn't go to God and say, God, it's just the one time. He didn't go and say, God, I'm going to take care of her. I'm going to raise the child as my own. And I'm going to make this right. He didn't do any of that. He goes to God and says, God, I, I messed up. I and, and you know what? This is who this is who I am in my very nature. That's who we are. If we settle for anything less than that, we're lying. We're lying about ourselves. I'm not saying you guys all are the same as Hitler, or or Jeffrey Dahmer, or or even as bad as what King David did. 
But if you go back to James, James says, if you knew to do something right and you didn't do it, that's a sin. He also says that if you commit one sin, but you don't commit the other, you're still guilty of all the law. He, he says you may not murder, but you commit adultery. You're guilty of all the law. You're guilty of breaking all of the you're, – you're, you've done it all. Doesn't doesn't matter if yours was here and theirs was there. You've sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So the two truths are, yes, we are loved, and yes, we are sinners. But how do we reconcile this? We reconcile this in the fact that the love that God shows us through Jesus erases that past sin, that present sin, and the sin that we might do in the future. There's a misconception that you're going to give your life to Jesus and stop sinning all of a sudden. Um, if you die after you give your life to Jesus, then that might happen. But if you give your life to Jesus today, you're going to wake up tomorrow, um, brand new, born again, the Bible says, and you're going to start learning some things. You're going to start hearing a voice. That's the Holy Spirit telling you to do and to not do certain things. And, and there's still going to be this temptation that's going to arise to do what is wrong and contrary to God. And sometimes in the church we get accused of being hypocrites because the reality is we know the truth and sometimes we act contrary to it. And that doesn't make us any less saved. It just makes us more real. And when we admit that, yeah, that's you know, there's a standard we have and we want to live up to it. But man, we need Jesus because there's times we just don't hit that mark. That's the truth. And we need, and we need Jesus every day in all of this. And so... You give your life to Jesus, you're forgiven of sin, but what about what about from that moment on? I don't plan on any of us dying giving our life to the Lord today. So we're going to live 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 years after this, assuming that the Lord doesn't come back before then. What do we do about sin then? The writer of Hebrews says, lay it aside. It's Sin is not the same as testing. You might be tempted, and the Bible says that God does not tempt us. He's not tempted by evil, so he doesn't tempt us with evil. When the choice comes down to, should I sin or not sin, God's never putting the sin before you to see what you will do. He would not tempt you in that way. That's Satan's job. And your flesh already wants to do that one thing. You ever find that you're never tempted to do things that maybe somebody else is tempted by? I've never had an issue with alcohol. I never have. It's just never been my thing. So I'm never tempted by it. Satan's not an idiot. He's not going to waste his time. He doesn't tempt me with that. You know what he tempts me with? The second plate of food. The second dessert. Eating when I'm not hungry. That's, that's, that's his lure when he tries to catch me. That's the thing that works to keep me in sin and, and in bondage instead of being liberated from God or liberated with God. So, so temptation deals with who you are on the inside. You know, I'm not tempted by pornography, but some people are. And for them, it's they can't have a, a computer. They can't go certain places. If it's alcohol, they can't go to bars or places that serve alcohol because the temptation's too hard. Some of you, your temptation's lying. Well, I have to protect myself. Well, that's still lying. And are you really protecting yourself? You'd rather be safe in front of man and 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 betray your god that doesn't make any sense we wouldn't let our kids get away with that but we think god will let us get away with that it doesn't make any sense james 1 and 14 says but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire 
uh, when it has conceived, give birth, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings, brings forth death. Sin is more than just an obstacle. Obstacles make us stronger. Trials make us stronger. That's what this is not. This is not what that's about. Sin is a trap meant to kill you. See, as Christians, we don't. As we've read the Bible and as we've understood Jesus, we decide through the power of the Holy Spirit to no longer toy with sin. We realize it's it's like trying to hold fire in our hands. We're going to get burned. We're going to get hurt if we try to live this life or this lifestyle or whatever it is. We know that it's sin, so now we have to be changed. Here's the good news. The good news is not only that we've been forgiven, but that Christ has given us the power through his Holy Spirit to live this life for him. Though we might deal with physical temptation, as powerful as that might feel, we have the ability to overcome that and lay it aside, get rid of it, cast it away, and say, no, I will not do that because my God is worth so much more than this momentary pleasure or relief I might feel. I would rather give my life to Christ. And you know what? That is one of the hardest things we will do. I was struggling, as I've shared with you before, my, my thing that I struggle with is overeating. I hide it well, but, you know, overeating. And I remember there was this one particular moment about six weeks ago where um, I was just really stressed out. Like it was just – things were just chaotic, and I was like, ah, and, and just all these little thoughts. You know, I'm just going to go get something to eat. I'm just going to go uh, put something in my mouth. I'm going to go have a sandwich or something, you know. Um. And then I saw it in the moment. I was like, no. I see what I'm doing here. I see what Satan's doing here. I see what my flesh is doing here. I'm looking for a different Savior and a different God. It got so bad that later on, like, I couldn't even determine, am I really hungry? Should I really eat? Like, like am I just back there? It took, like, 15 minutes to really feel like, okay, this is over. But I look back on my life, I'm like, how many times... Was that just me going just, oh, yeah, I'm just going to get something to eat. You know, I'll, just go, I'll just go get some fast food. I'll just go grab a soda. I'll just go do this to bring that, that, that really fake relief. You know, that's what sin is, just this fake form of relief. I know, I know some of you that, that sin in here. You don't sin because you don't believe in Jesus. You're looking for relief. You're looking for that torment and that chaos to go away. When it comes to sin, though, there is no there is no gray area. We lay it aside. We drop it. We get rid of it. I believe it's in 1 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, his, his the, the Robin to his Batman, he tells him, Hey, flee youthful lusts. Because if there's anything that, that young guys have, it's youthful lusts, right? It's for everything but marrying a gal and having kids. It's, it's just... It's it's conquer and overcome and and rack up numbers and and all this other business. And he says, no, 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 that's not you. That's not us. You flee from that. You don't sit around and fight it. You don't try to reason with it. You run. You run because your life depends on it. Youthful lust and youthful lust isn't just sexual. It's 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 anything that is going to tempt you to betray your God. So let me ask you this. Hey, okay, this is probably like a very narrow 
uh, illustration. You ever seen the movie The Incredibles? Anybody ever, raise your hand if you've seen the movie The Incredibles. All right. Okay, I got more than 50%. Right on. Okay. Story of the Incredibles. Awesome movie. You haven't watched it. It's not a spoiler alert. Family of superheroes. And the dad, he's struggling with, you know, kind of over the hill, not really a superhero anymore. Um, there's this scene where he gets caught, and the bad guy, Syndrome, shoots these things onto Mr. Incredible. And it's this big blobby stuff that just starts growing and entraps him. And if you've seen the movie, picture that moment. That's what Sin's like. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, just think about a waterfall engulfing you completely where you can't even move. It's so strong and powerful. And uh, The Bible tells us to lay aside every, every, every weight, every sin that holds us back. But, but here's the thing. We can't in and of ourselves. We can't. Here's, here's where the message changes from, oh man, I got to do all this stuff, to I have to trust Jesus to do all this stuff. See, because we're in the business of trusting Jesus to empower us to do these things. If laying aside sin was so simple, Jesus would never have had to die. If, if Jesus could, ju if you could just get up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this, then Jesus wasted his time. The fact is, Jesus came to give us that power to do just that. And if you are a Christian today, you have that power in you through the Holy Spirit to overcome the sin that ensnares you and entangles you and engulfs you. So what? So let's just call out. What is the sin that holds you down? I can I can right off the bat, not knowing any of you, not opening my eyes, I can I could hit probably in the nineties nineties of percent easily just say it's probably pride. Most of you probably not going out, being adulterous, murderous. You, you, you probably are living a pretty good lifestyle of not lying. At some point, though, pride probably enters in and just ruins your life. So we have to look at what is, what is pride. We often look at men like, oh, let's say, Donald Trump. Because he's in the news a lot. Yes or no, seems like a pretty prideful guy, right? Seems to like himself a lot, at least when we see him on television. And he's got his goofy hat on. Like, what's the deal with the hat lately? I, could you have picked a worse hat i mean i love the message but it's like he got it from his garage in 1964 like i'm gonna put this hat on sorry not impressed with donald trump he seems like a pretty arrogant prideful guy and that's sort of what, what we see as prideful that's pride and as long as i'm not that i'm okay truth be told as long as you're not that you probably are okay in one sense but pride is any time we take our eyes off of Christ and we look at ourselves or we look at others and we start measuring ourselves compared to that so even things like low self-esteem people with low self-esteem you know what they do a lot of look at themselves they have low self-esteem because they're constantly continuously looking at themselves and their state depressed people they do the same if you're depressed and you're taking medications, that's I'm not calling you out on that. What I'm saying is an inward focus upon ourselves or others always leads to our detriment, and it, it's ultimately pride. And so you might be dealing with an issue that's centered on pride, 
and not even know it. But I guarantee you, start there. Where, Lord, where am I looking to other things and not to you first? What is entangling me? Ask, you the, ask yourself these questions. I can't answer them for you. This is between you and your Lord. This is between you and Jesus. What, what, is, what has trapped me? Time and time again, you know what I hear from new Christians? I feel like I've been set free. I've been like, feel like I've been released. I feel like chains have been taken off of me. Because that's what's happened. That's the reality of it. We're not just dealing with a new set of morals and standards. We're being liberated from a life of sin, Satan, and death. This is so much more than just changing our rules or, 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 or going to church on Sunday. This is, this is a lifestyle that's completely bent on Jesus. And so, more often than not, what you need is to ask yourself these hard questions and then just fall to your knees and ask Jesus for forgiveness and let him lift you up. When you, um, one of my favorite parables is the story of the prodigal son. It's in the book of Luke, I believe, and Jesus gives this story about this young man who goes to his dad and says, give me my inheritance. Give me the money you're going to give me when you die. Because I got some ideas about what I want to do with it. It's not building a home. It's not starting a family. It's not getting married. I want to go out. I want to buy prostitutes. And I want to drink a, a lot of alcohol. And I want to just gamble. And I want to, I want to live life to its fullest. Probably the first person who ever said YOLO. As dumb as that is. He just went out, took all of this, and wasted it. And then he's penniless. He's the dad says, "Okay, that's that's your heart. That's what you want here." And the dad just waits. Now, before I was a dad, this 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 parable was an okay parable. But now that I'm a dad, my heart breaks when I when I see that part when the dad when he releases the son to go live the life he wants because because until then he's not going to he's not going to give up. He comes to this. He wastes all the money. He's lived his life, and now he's done. And he decides, I'm going to go back home. He's like, I, I can't go back home as a son. I'll go back as a worker. How many of you are tempted to go back to Jesus as a worker sometimes? You know, he, he couldn't possibly forgive me. I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do this, and then he'll forgive me. I'll give a little more. I'll go to church a little more. I'll, I'll pray a little more, and then God will forgive me. I'll do some good stuff to kind of make things nice, and then he'll welcome me back in as a worker. And that's the same thing the son did. So he goes home. And says that the dad saw him from a distance. So obviously the dad was looking for the day where he would return. And as soon as he saw his son, he ran to his son. And threw his arms around him and, and just started to rejoice. And the kid's kind of, he's trying to say, you know what, uh, dad, I want to work for you. I, I know you'll take care of me as a worker. Let me work. And the dad won't hear of it. He won't have none of it. He says, no, you're my son. You were lost. Now you've been found. He tells people, hey, go kill the, go kill the fatted calf or whatever we're gonna have a barbecue we're gonna have a party we're gonna celebrate because my son has returned and this is what the lord desires of us that we would return when we return to god we don't meet a god with his arm crossed wagging his finger i told you so dad never says that to the prodigal son just welcomes and welcomes in them with a hug just embraces his son. Oh, you were gone. Now you're, my boy is back. He's back. 
and they celebrate. When you give your life to Jesus, this is what you find. You find a God who embraces you, forgives you of your sin, and celebrates. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner gives their life to Christ. If you give your life to Christ today, there will be a celebration in heaven. Yeah, that person gave their life to Jesus. And the angels, I'm assuming, can party pretty hard. And so they just have this big celebration. It's, it's a reason to celebrate because you've gone from death to life. You've now been born again. And if you've been born again and you've gone through that and you knew that truth, what's holding you back now? What do you need to lay aside? What is weighing you down from running this race set before you? Let's stand. Yeah. What? No, come on up. Hey, church. So I was praying while Tony was speaking, and I just felt really quick, because I know we have days to do, and I got Guitar Center to go visit, so, um, but Tony's talking about laying aside every weight, and, you know, a lot of that being the sin that we deal with, and uh, being somebody who has a lot of trouble with that, I, I've come to realize and understand that I can't do it by myself, and Tony's touched on this today, but I just really want to nail the point home, that for those of you who are struggling with sin and are having trouble the church is here. The responsibility of the church you're attending is to come alongside you, walk with you, and lift you up. Mm-hmm. And those of you who are spiritual, those of you who have walked, and those of you who have struggled, it's, it's our responsibility, it's your responsibility to reach out to those who are exhausted and tired and weak, to come alongside them and lay a hand on their shoulder and say, I'm here with you, I'm walking with you, you're not alone. And I just, it's, Paul reemphasizes this in Galatians 6, and he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted as well, and bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's love each other, church. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for sharing that. That's absolutely true. That just like the, just like the, dad of the prodigal son he didn't restore him in anger he restored him in gentleness if you're caught in sin today we're not calling you out so that we can point fingers at you we're calling you out so that you can find forgiveness 